I think we ought to stand, stand, a great ovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay up just for a minute. One of the greatest prayers in the whole world. Come pray that God will help this poor servant tonight. Our Father, I want to just, just want to thank you tonight, oh God. We thank you because you're the God of all grace. We thank you because we can look unto you. Father, tonight we lift up your servant before you. Paul said, I have come not in the demonstration of man's wisdom, but of power. Father, tonight in the name of Jesus, the power that caused your word to bring about an impact and change and transformation. Father, we receive that tonight upon your servant in the name of Jesus. We thank you, my God, that you will strengthen him with might in his inner man. That, Lord, out of him indeed will flow rivers of living water. Father, thank you that every heart that would hear tonight will be refreshed. Every heart that would hear tonight will be transformed. We thank you that your word will bring forth a mighty harvest amongst your people in the name of Jesus. Because tonight, oh God, Paul said, but we see Jesus. Lord, tonight we see Jesus. We hear Jesus. We receive the words of Jesus. We thank you because, Lord, that is all that we have come to hear tonight. And Lord, because we have come to hear that, oh God, we thank you, my God. That, Lord, you are already present. That you will do beyond our expectations in the name of Jesus. We thank you tonight. We lift up every ministry in this house. We thank you, Lord, that as they go back, oh God, they will go back, change the men and women. Men and women that will transform their city. Men and women that will carry the kingdom message, oh God, and begin to see it breath in our city. We see it breath in our nation. That we may see a transformation all over, oh God, to the glory of your name. Tonight we thank you that as your word comes forth, everyone that needs healing will receive healing. Them that needs encouragement will be encouraged. The heart that is down will be encouraged to God in the name of Jesus. For we speak the word of God into the atmosphere. Then he said, why are you cast down all my soul? Put your hope in God. My God will speak to that soul tonight. That that soul is encouraged. That soul is lifted up. That weary soul is refreshed, oh God. For you said there is a river that makes glad the city of God. You said God is in our midst and she shall not be moved. My God, thank you because you are in our midst tonight, oh God. And there is none of us that will be moved, oh God. Because you, almighty God, are the very present help. In the time of need. Thank you my God. That of all oh God tonight. Your servant oh God is prepared. And because it's prepared your word is ready. And because your word is ready. There is a change that is about to take place. We thank you for it. Everyone in agreement with me. Just lift up your hands tonight. Just receive that which God has in store tonight. Just receive it. Receive it tonight. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. We bless your name tonight oh Lord. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. amen. Let's put our hands together one more time. Yes. Hallelujah. 
You may be seated. I want to discuss with you tonight uh, something that has been in my spirit for a while. I talked about this, I don't know if it was this year, last year or year before, but I want to talk about the reason we are here. Uh, I'm going to call this God's kind intention. God's kind intention. I'm reading from Ephesians. If you want to turn there, you want to make a note. I do not promise a great sermon. I quit that, you know, in my later years. I, I'm going to promise that I'll dig a while and see if we can find a, a treasure here somewhere, maybe hid in the field. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's talk in tongues a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, begin with verse 3, blessed be the God and Father. Now you know I'm reading in the good old King James Version. There are some other versions that are much clearer and better. As a matter of fact, it's taken me years to believe that. <laughs> this, this, this version right here, King James. What was the old boy said? If it's good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us. See, there's some keys in here I want us to get as we go along. Here, here, comes, here comes one. Make sure when you find a, a, beautiful, a beautiful red dot, you, you hit it. What did it say he's done to us? Well, my, he's chosen us. Okay, so he goes, uh, I'll take you. Uh, I'll take you, and I'll take you. Chosen, he's chosen us. In him. And now here comes another huge one. And this one's going to be hard for us to grasp unless we've been following along here for the last couple of years. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So the choosing of God, and he didn't say he'd chosen people, he said he'd chosen us. Let's all say he chose me. He chose me. And he, and he did that before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in, in what? See, this is another great key. We pass these words over so quickly. Chosen him and, and be without blame before him in love. If you're going to be blamed, don't be blamed for not being in love. Make sure that if you get blamed, it's not for not being in love. You may make all kinds of other mistakes, but don't be blamed for not being in love because that is the key and the source of all of God's purpose. Okay? If you're going to be anything, be in love. Got it? Okay. Having pre 
we got all kinds of landmines in this passage. Oh, man. You know, I get asked to speak in these meetings. As I don't do it very much, Brother Ford. I know your daddy uh, has been thinking about uh, this. You're going to find out tonight. This man of God came just for tonight, Ubered all the way. Here has to turn around after the service and fly to Orlando. His father is one of the uh, great leaders of one of the apostolic uh, systems in the, in the world. I just, I want to tell you why I probably am not going to come and probably why you don't want me to come. Okay, but I'm glad you're here tonight. At least you'll have a good reason to tell him why, Daddy. I don't think we better ask him to come to you. <laughs> Keynote our conference. I really don't think so. <clears throat> here we go. We're, here's another land. Having predestinated us. Whoa. He's already predestinated that we would be adopted children unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure not of my will, of his will. He did not take a vote. He did not call a council meeting. He did not, yeah, he didn't get the cabinet together and see what the opinion was. There was, weren't any voting, voting booths. Nobody, Russia didn't interfere. Uh, sorry about that. <clears throat> he just did it all by himself. Say, all by himself. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't even ask me. He just before the foundation of the world, he predetermined. Say predetermined. When you say destined, that means it is an accomplished thing. He pre or before determined that I would get adopted, which takes away something that we have spent a lot of time on falsely called free will. Free will has a place, but free will has no place in the eternal adoption. It's overrated. Free will, that's right, Bishop. Free will is, and the reason is because we have free will within a set place, and that is in the soulish nature dealing with time. In time, I can make a determination what I will and will not do, but the eternal thing in me no matter if I say no, God says yes. The answer is not maybe. The answer is yes. Does that make any sense to you? So here we go now. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came home from Nigeria, Pastor? <laughs> you need to go home and go to bed. You don't want to listen to all this stuff. If I were you, I would be gone by now. I'd, I'd be stretched out somewhere on a, you know, a sealy apostrophe somewhere having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus wow according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence here we go Having made known unto us the mystery, the secret, let's all say the secret, the mystery of his will. Now here in this passage, the apostle is assuming that we understand all of this. He said he's already made known to us the mystery of his will. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. 
and then he explains it, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Wow. The scripture says, of his own will begat he us. Let's all say of his own will. Yeah, of his own will begat he he's, he's the one. It's his will. We were chosen before the foundation of the world to preach to his praise and his glory. Now, this whole term in, intention that I'm using is rather interpreted here in the King James, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. If you look in Rothingham, if you look in Thayer's, if you look in other translations, this good pleasure is interpreted most often according to his according to his kind intention. In other words, it was his kind intention. When it says good pleasure, he intended something. And it was a kind intention. It wasn't a bad intention for us. It was a kind intention. I'm going to deal tonight with the idea that most Christianity lives with the idea that God is not sovereign. God does not have authority and power in the earth that God cannot perform his will, that God cannot bring forth that which he has said. Most Christianity in the eschatologies, especially in the eschatologies, are struggling with the idea that God is able to do what he said he would do in the beginning. I want to state this to you, and I hope that this will strike home to you. If I do not know what God intended from the beginning, I can never know what the final act of God will be didn't get much response. If I do not know what God intended from the beginning, and I'm going to deal with a certain overarching hierarchy, a thought of an overarching hierarchy, and a whole, whole group of subsets. Now, that may sound like strange stuff to you, but listen to me carefully, okay? If I put on the side of my truck plumber, what do you suppose I do? I work in plumbing, right? And so I'm going to call a plumber. How would you feel if your faucet was leaking and you called a plumber and he got up under your house and messed around with some pipes and he, he's there half a day. He comes out and eats lunch and goes back under there. And I, I say to him, what are you doing? I'm being a plumber. Well, that's, that's nice. What do you do? I'm enjoying all these pipes down here. These pipes are wonderful. You ever see the copper down here? Matter of fact, I resoldered all these pipes down here just to make sure they wouldn't leak. Cause I, no, I've got a leak up here. Aren't you going to? Because the reason I called you, my intention was that you would fix my problem up here. And you're down here somewhere in between where the water comes in and where the water's dripping out. And you have found some comfort in being who you are. You're not fixing my problem. You're enjoying being who you think you are, which is what church has become. Yeah. 
we have come to enjoy who we are in Christ without understanding the original intention. What did he intend? Did he intend for us just to enjoy salvation or was there a kind intention from the beginning that God had that should be the driving purpose for our being in the first place? Now, why, so I got to go back. Why did God make a man? Anybody remember when I talked about that before? Why did God make us in the beginning? Why? God, who is God of all things, he can lack nothing. He needs nothing. He is all and in all. The heavens and the earth he created with his own hand and power, right? He, you can't take anything from him. You can't add anything to him. I say a lot of times you can add him to himself, divide him by himself, subtract him from himself, multiply him by himself. He'll never be greater or lesser than he is already because he's already all and in all. He is the spirit that fills all things. There's nothing he is not. He is everywhere. If I flee to the wilderness, he's out there. If I go to the highest mountain, he's up there. There's no place I can go that he is not. He is, not only is he there, but he fills all those things. And he is all things and under all things. And not only that, but if you go back and read Isaiah, you'll find out right away that he made all of that. <laughs> he created all of that. And that's not the only thing. You know, when I read, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, hath established, he hath created it not in, oh, he hath created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. So, hey, why is the little blue planet different from all the other planets? Why is the earth different from all, why is it different from Mars? Why is it different from Jupiter? Why is the earth within two hundredths of a percent of temperature variance that gives life to us that would, if it went one way or the other, and according to a lot of people in this world, they think it's going the other. What have we got, 12 years to exist on the face of the earth? Uh, or whatever. I just, uh, well, you know, we want to, I don't want to get political here, I'm just... I do want to tell you that he made it. He can keep it. He's the one that upholds it with the word of his with the word of his power. The same force that created it will keep it. Hallelujah! Man can't alter it. Isn't that stupid to think that man can alter the idea that God had in the beginning? And yet, that's what we think. That's what creation thinks. That's what man has come up with. The whole issue is God made a little planet in the middle of all of the multitude of stars. If we were to measure them. It is stated that in Andromeda alone, in this planet, in this, in this constellation alone, there are approximately 150 billion stars. 150 billion in Andromeda, which is the galaxy we're in. It is also estimated there are over perhaps 100 billion galaxies greater than our own. You want to get into a mathematical contest on that, find out how many stars there are? Your computer would just blow a fuse. There's just no way you can figure that out. And yet out of all of that planetary system, out of all, when I consider the heavens, wow, and the works that thy hands have made, I have to say, what is man? That's the question. What is man? Who are you? What is man that thou art? Why would you even, with the mind that can put together planetary systems, 
Keep them from colliding. Hold them on an invisible string of, of gravity. Make them swirl round and round in an oval. All of that out here in an unbelievable non-linear fashion without collision so that man can by his own observation determine that a certain comet will pass the earth 230 years from now. God has timed it so directly that man can contemplate the movement of the heavens so are, it's just not out there by chance. It didn't happen just because it just fell out there somewhere. A great and mighty mind created all of that and in the midst of all of that creation, all of that, he created a little bubble here that we call the earth and he did it for one purpose and one purpose only. He did it so that he could put a man on it. He made it so that it would be inhabited. And then when I go down here, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God. Somebody say hallelujah. Say something. Good Lord. Somebody say something else. I'm God and there's none. I'm God and there's none like me. Not only that, but I have also said some things declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done. I've already stated what will happen. I've already predetermined. I've already predestined what's going to come to pass. I've spoken it and I will not go back, God said. I'm not changing my mind. Why did he make a man? Anybody got any good ideas? Couldn't help himself. Had to make a man. I'm going to say that again. God could not help himself. He had to make man. You've heard me talk about this before. Why did God have to make a man? Why did God have to make a human being? Couldn't help himself. You know why he couldn't help himself? because of his very character and because of his very nature, because the very essence of God in all of his creation, everything you see, when I consider and when I look and all of that, I get feelings of awe. I get all these, but the feeling that I really must be careful never to sin in is love. <laughs> That's the one I don't want to mess up. Remember I read a while ago, if, the, if, there's any, if you fall short in anything, don't fall short in love because that is the essence of who he is and everything that he made. God is. Again, God is. And love is the very essence and character of this God. Yet in some of our backgrounds and in our Christianity, we visualize God as a mean judge. Something that has occurred to me is that Jesus, who is a redeemer on a cross, I love this. Jesus, who is the redeemer on the cross, in the book of Revelation becomes the judge. And we sit and rule and reign with him, and we judge the nation. Wouldn't you like for the person who's going to judge you to be the one who already died for you? Think about that for a minute. Wouldn't you really want the person who's going to judge you and your living and what you've done? 
the one who said, I will already remedy that before that gets any farther. I'm going to, at the end of all of this thing, I'm going to make sure that I relieve the responsibility on everybody. Jesus is both redeemer and judge. Amazing to me. That may not strike you, but when that dawned on me, I said, thank you. Whew. Did you ever have to go to court? Did you ever worry about who the judge is going to be? Did you ever think, is that a mean one? Is that a bad one? Boy, wouldn't it be something if you knew you were going to judgment and the judge that you are going to stand in front of was somebody that already died for you? I guess that doesn't, that doesn't, I'm sorry, I thought, I thought you'd really get off on that. Because that one blew me away. He's judge, jury, and redeemer all in one. That's why the, I'm going to just throw this in here. That is why <laughs> the punishment that man has dredged up in his Romanism thinking as to the underworld and all of that that got thrown into the, into the King James Version of men being punished forever and ever and ever without end and without hope. I love it when I read that we are going to be punished in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. I'm going to be punished where? In the presence of what? The Lamb <laughs> who died for me. I'm telling you, it's not punitive. He isn't going to do it to destroy us. He's doing it to purge us to the point that he can have in the end what he intended. In the beginning, that's what he intends. He will put us through whatever he needs to put us through for us to be the end product of his kind intention. Because in the beginning, he begat us with his Praise God. All right, y'all just go ahead and sit out there. I don't care. It just gives me great joy to know that the God I serve, that the only reason he made us in the beginning and preordained the end from the beginning that I would be to his praise and his glory and that there is not enough evil in the world to stop his kind intention. Man cannot invent enough stuff to stop God's eternal program. Hallelujah. I, I think I'm more excited about this than everybody else. And that's okay. I'm just going to stay excited about this because it gives me hope. It gives me hope beyond my religious background. Because in my religious background, God was not sovereign enough. He was not strong enough. He was not able enough to overcome man's will. God can create a man who has a will that's stronger than his intention. In my old, that I can actually turn God's mind around and say, well, I know that's what you wanted, but that's not what you're going to get because I've got a free will and I've determined that you can't do that. I've got a God who says you may not want to do that and in your lifetime you may not choose to do that, but when this is all over, I've got news for you. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory to the glory of God the Father. 
He will not fail in his kind intention. He will not fail. God could not help himself. Could not. He had to make a man. And the reason for that is as complete as God is. Think about this. He, he can't lack anything. He is in all things. He makes up all things. All things are made up by him, through him, for him. All things were created for him and by him. And by him all things consist. Everything exists in this world by him. And then it goes on to say things in heaven, things in earth, things in earth. It also talks about principalities, powers. Whoa, wait a minute. Well, he made them too. See, that we don't want. We think the devil popped up somewhere, did a coup on God, got kicked out of heaven, and with some kind of an eternal power can run around and offer God such a fight in this world that 90% of God's intention in saving man is going to fail because the devil is so powerful that we got, and there's that dualism again. Here we go again. Right and right. That's, see, that's the knowledge of good and of evil. We think that evil is so powerful that the devil's out fighting us every day. All you folks that are living in spiritual warfare, you're wasting your time. I hate to hurt your feelings. What you need to deal with is your brain. The war is right between your ears. The battle has already been won. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. He destroyed the works of the devil. The reason you can't cast the reason you can't cast out the devil is because you don't know who it is. The reason you can't cast down the principality is because you think it's so tough. It is an already lost battle. All you got to do is declare how much he's lost, how little power he has, how small his authority is. He has nothing that can stop you. You were predestined before the foundation of the world to be to his praise and glory. You don't even have to talk to him. You can just snub him. Resist the devil, and he'll turn around and run from you. You don't know who you are. You need to find out why God made you. He already determined that you would, everything you do, even if it's bad, will turn out to his praise and his glory. So God, he, he's got a problem. He can't help himself because love as complete as it is, as, as full as it is, lacks something because of its very nature. Because love is incomplete in and of itself if it does not have an object on which to place itself. It is a sterile seed. It is a hollow corpuscle. It is a nothing entity if it is of itself. Love without an object on which to place itself is called loneliness. And a God who cannot be lonely because he fills all things could not help himself. He must create then in all of his vast creation. He can make trees and plants and herbs. 
I see my prayer back there walking. Praise God. Thank you. I feel it. I still feel it. Somebody just bless the Lord. So this God who cannot leave a hollow spot in creation, he can make all these things. He can make a bear and a lion and a wolf and a, he can make a lizard and an alligator and a crocodile. He can make all this stuff, make all this stuff. Before he gets done with all of that, there's nothing in all of that creation that can absorb his nature. Because in order for love to be love, it ha the object on which it places itself must have the same emotion. It must have the same DNA. It's got to have the same. It has to have the same image. It has to have the same likeness. You can like your pet, but you cannot reproduce with it. You can love your house, but you don't wake up in the morning and have little houses sitting around in the front yard. And if God is going to truly love, then it has to be an article by which he may reproduce his own character and nature. And so God has to have something that he can have an affair with. That's why before he got through making all kinds of stuff and before he rested, he's not going to rest until he finally makes that most glorious creation. He's going to kneel down in the dust of the earth and out of the dust of the earth, he's going to make a man in his own likeness after his own image. Everything that you feel, God has the tendency toward. The only thing is man perverts it by his own nature and his perversion of nature takes all of these feelings and turns them around. That's why some of you need a psychiatrist. Because if we ever come back into righteousness, which is alignment, if we ever come back into alignment with his attitude and with his thought, then everything we think will be based in a thing called love. Whoever had it right, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. The truth is... The truth is that God makes a man in his own image after his own likeness so that he may have something on which to place his very nature and character. In placing it or covering it, he automatically creates the possibility of reproduction in it. That's why when he speaks of man, he doesn't speak of man as being one. He speaks of man as being people. He speaks of man as being nations. He speaks to man as being inhabitants. He in he created and formed the earth that it might be inhabited. The first creation he ever gave to Adam and Eve is beef. Because I want you to take my love and the thing that I have placed on you and I want it to spread and spread and spread. So be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Wasn't that God's command? Not only does God have to have an article or an image on which to place himself, but that same object has to have the same identical possibilities that God has so that he can love back because love is still incomplete if it does not have the possibility of responding back in love. So you say, well, God made a man so the man would love him. That's not all there is. 
God has to, in order to show the fullness of his power, let's all say fullness of his glory. See, a part of the fullness of his glory, we were singing about it here a while ago. Grace, grace. How do you get grace? What's grace for? Why do, why do we talk about the mercy of God? Why do we talk about the patience of God? Why do we talk about those things? Because, see, that's impossible to have if all there is is love. Boy, that shut everything down. And so he will make this man, put him in a garden, and right smack in the middle of that garden, he will plant a couple of trees. One of them is right in the middle. You can't go to the grocery store without passing it. You can't go get gasoline in your car without passing it. You can't go take your kids to school without passing it. It's in the midst of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. It's right smack in the middle. And it is right there looking good every morning. When Eve walked out and... Uh, shined up her nails and got all cute and everything and got to look, she said, ooh, that sure is a pretty tree. See, saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eye. So you can get back and you can say, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are the things that hang on that tree. And so when you look at that, because it was good to look at it, she desirable, desirable to lust, lust after, pleasant to the eye and then something to partake of. I don't have time to go into all of that, but those things are all laid down quantifiably on top of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. That's where evil comes from. And when you eat that, when you see that, he put it right in the middle and then gave him the stupid, impossible thing. He said, whatever you do, don't eat that. Now, I want to ask you, having been a child myself, I grew up, I started out as a child, and you did too. You go tell one of your youngins, don't touch that. Somebody want to explain to me the first thing you're going to do? No, how wonderful. Again, how terrible. Man fell because he disobeyed God. No man fell because God intended for him to fall. If man had not fallen, there would be no possibility for mercy, and mercy is a part of love. If man had not fallen, there would be no possibility for grace. And grace is a good part of the response of love. And so God said, I create the good and I create the evil. I create the light and I create the darkness. If God didn't want war and all this mess going on, why did he make evil? He did it because he'll put you through every possibility and you will be held under unrighteousness. You will be imprisoned in unrighteousness. You know why? So that he may show Mercy to all. Because love is still incomplete if it does not incorporate mercy. And mercy can never be shown if there's not the possibility of failure. And so God had to put in that garden the possibility of man's failure. Failing was not man's problem. It was God's idea. This enormous wonderful mind of God determined I will fix it so every one of my creation will be held under disobedience there is none righteous no not one for all have sin and I've got to make sure that they all sin and come short I've got to make sure see if I understand you say that's terrible no that's his kind intention because, see, that's why the two things that divide the Christian church in general 
the two things that are most notorious. Number one is foundational doctrine as it relates to what we call salvation. What you got to do to get saved? Well, just believe on the Lord. You say, oh, they're not saved. You know, Billy Graham, all those people, my God, you got all these millions of people out there and they're making these public confessions and everything. Them people ain't saved because they haven't been baptized. And then we say, well, they need to be baptized. Well, yeah, but they ain't baptized right. So they need to get the Holy Ghost. Well, they claim to have the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't talked to you. You ain't talked until you ain't got it. And, and fundamental doctrine. Number one, number one cause for division. I said, we said today, 2,870 different organized denominations of Christianity in America alone registered with the government. Almost 3,000. Not churches, organizations. And some of them are split on issues as small as whether or not you use grape juice or wine for communion. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. And they're divided over some, and we've divided because, no, the Bible doesn't say it. The Bible says this. You've got to do it this way. If you don't do it this way, you're not going to get saved. And so salvation, we've made salvation. <clears throat> See, the, you, know, you know why there's so much catastrophe around the, the doctrine of salvation? Because it never was the gospel in the beginning. It's not the gospel of salvation. The only place that is stated is where Paul said, when I heard of your, of the salvation, the gospel of salvation, he talked about hearing that people had been saved through the gospel. Everything else is the gospel of the kingdom. Let's all say gospel of the kingdom. See, the gospel of the kingdom is God's rule and intention in the earth. What did God intend in the beginning? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not did you get saved. That's a subset. I'm going to get to that in a minute. That is a subset. That's not the intention. You say his kind intention was to save us. No. His kind intention was that we would be to the glory and praise of God and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess and that everything that he willed from the beginning would come to pass, that he, sovereign God, would not leave one of his creation out of the mix. He's able to save to the uttermost. He said, well, they didn't come to him. Yeah, well, they will because they're all going to come, everyone. I don't know if I'm going to get into it tomorrow or not, but I might get into it. I, I want to talk about the first and the second death. Some of you, that will scare you to death because you remember the second death, all cast into the lake of fire. We don't even really understand what the lake of fire is. We also don't understand what the second death is. We don't understand because we don't know what the first death is. You say, well, the first death is when they go to the graveyard and they bury you, and then the second death, you know, is when you get judged and then you get, I thought, I thought that when he died, his death was my death. That's why if I'm in Christ, I can't be hurt of the second death because I've already died the first time. Because when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose, I rose. I've already died. I'm dead. Don't you remember? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things only. Quit looking at the world around you, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you are all, you've already had a death. That's why some men send their sins on before them to judgment, because you already died the first. That's why the second death can't bother you. Second death. 
The second death is when you go to the graveyard. The reason that one hurts you, see, I'm already in it. The, would you like for me to tell you why I think the second death can hurt you really bad? Because your spirit does not go to God who gave it. You say, well, you can't, you can't say that. I just did. You hear me? How do you know? I have Bible precedent for what happens to the unrighteous in time. They go to prison. Boy, it's quiet in here. I think I'll get back to God's kind intention. Don't you remember, for this cause also was the gospel preached to them that are dead? That though they are judged in the flesh according to men, they might live according to God in the spirit. Did that never dawn on you? That those who, you said, to as many as receive them, what if they don't receive him in time? You say, well, their free will, they exercise their free will. I'm on to something I really don't have time to mess with tonight. What happens to them? Well, the sad thing about those who die without Christ in this life is that they cannot, their spirit cannot get to God and it can't get back to you. They are absolutely unable to communicate with time and life. They are held in chains under everlasting darkness waiting for the judgment of the great day. I'll just let that lay on you for a while and you can suffer with that. But you remember when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He went into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do when he got there? Oh, he preached. To who? Yeah, not to flesh. Not to flesh, because the spirits didn't go to God. Their spirits did not go. So they went to God and got judged. No, they didn't. They're still laying out there somewhere. And so he went and preached to the spirits in prison who were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. They were people who died in the flood, who rejected the gospel of Noah, who rejected the possibility of being saved in an ark. And Jesus went and preached to them and set them all free. Won't it be wonderful someday when all the people who rejected God in this generation, in this day? Okay, all right. Sorry about that. Let me get back to God's kind intention, okay? So God's kind intention would be that God intended for every man everywhere to repent so that he might show mercy. That he might, why would he want to show mercy? Because it is a part of his love. Mercy is an attribute of love. Grace is an attribute of love. He made man in the beginning, beginning because of love. He's gonna redeem man in the end because of love. So the first thing we have so much trouble with is this gospel of salvation that we've been preaching. I'm gonna to have to get on that in a minute, but just right now, let me get to the second thing that is a, the biggest mess in Christianity. It's called eschatology. Anybody, everybody say eschatology. It's doctrine of last things. And the whole issue is you can never be correct about your doctrine of last things if you do not have the proper doctrine of first things. That was my whole message tonight. If I don't know what his intention was in the beginning, Phil, I can never know how it's going to end up. I will have it screwed up from the beginning. I'll have people going here. I have people burning like a piece of bacon on a grill forever. I mean ever. I will, I will misinterpret in the King James Version, what, 57 times the word eternal. I will make sure that it winds up being 
five different interpretations. I will never understand that the word aeonios means age and that the scripture talks about ages or separations of time. That's why I'm going to talk tomorrow about sin against the Holy Ghost because people don't even understand what that is. The Bible said it will not be forgiven you in this world or in the world. Look at the word. It's not world. It's not cosmos. It's the anios. It's in this space of time or in the space. Jesus is in that space of time. And in the next space of time, which will be grace, it can't be forgiven there either. Why can it not be forgiven in those times? I will tell you why. Because the overarching hierarchy of God's intention was by his spirit all men would come to repentance. And if you take away the purpose for which he created it, you take away the possibility of redeeming it. No, you don't. I'm going to have to deal with that some more. Because tomorrow, I, I, don't, I don't think there's just so much we can handle tonight. But tomorrow, I, I think I will deal with this whole issue about why is the Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost? and why we don't even understand what it's about and what it's for. If I get into that right now, let's see. All right, let me talk about sets and subsets, okay? So here, I want to talk about the church just a little bit. Now, the church is not the end. The, the church is simply a unit and a tool that God uses to bring about his kind intention when you make church the place where you stop and where you keep everybody and where you keep everybody saved now I know I'm in dangerous territory here with all the theologians and I really don't care I am going to be 76 years old in a couple of days thank you for all the birthday gifts thank you for the cards and especially the checks and the cards I really appreciate it. Tess is already scarfing those I have to be really careful because she thinks that anything I get from my birthday belongs to her because she does not understand the kind intention of all the folks who are here. She said, oh, look at that. You know what we could do? I said, it's not we. Quit speaking French. It's me. It's my birthday. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything you, you've done and given to us. Our eschatologies are all messed up. That's why everybody's sitting around in church waiting for Jesus to show up when he has already showed up. But if I do not understand that his coming was in spirit, if I don't understand it is with clouds, clouds, spirit, if I don't understand that the Holy Ghost is, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. If I don't understand that is a coming of the Lord, if I don't know, then I will not know that he has already come. If I don't know he's already come and I'm saying I hope he will come, I am already doubting the experience because I didn't understand it in the beginning. Next of all, I don't know why he came because the baptism of the Holy Ghost has expressed purpose. When he comes, he speaks expressly. There is a purpose in the coming of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's a reason why you speak with tongues. All of that has a tremendous, tremendous power. And if you take that power away, you take away, here I go again, 
what I call the overarching hierarchy or the very original purpose for which he made us in the first place. Of his spirit begat he us. Come on, let's say we were begotten of the spirit. Yeah, we're begotten of the spirit. The things of the spirit are only spiritually discerned. You can't take part of it and make it spiritual and then the rest of it and make it natural. You can't say, in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. That's what happened at Pentecost. Praise God. And then turn around and say, the sun shall be dark and the moon turned to blood. Oh, that's 2,000 years later. In the same verse, we separate now and then because we live in a total dualism. We just absolutely cannot, we just absolutely, we can't understand metaphorically how the sun could be dark and the moon turned to blood. He simply turned the lights out in an old dispensation, in an old age, turned them on in a new age, and the glory of the latter house is greater than the glory of the former. That's not what's, you say, oh, the moon's going to fall, the moon's dripping blood, you know. You better get right with God. The pounds are getting ready to fall on you. All of our eschatologists, in my opinion, it, the book of Revelation should be the most glorious book in the entire Bible. It's the only book that comes with a promise. It said, blessed is he that reads the words of this book. And yet it's the most scary book in the whole Bible. People wonder why God allowed it to be tagged on the end of all this other wonderful stuff. And everybody's waiting for hailstones to fall 100 pounds apiece. Men with the hair of women climbing out of holes, locusts, big as helicopters. <clears throat> Beetles as big as Volkswagens. All, all this is going on. The reason why, all, and this is all terrible and desperate and dastardly and oh my God. And that's because we did not understand that in the beginning, God's intention was that he will let every calamity there is known to man come to pass. Everything you can think of, the horrors of war, the terrible, terrible abuse of children, the hunger in the world, starvation in the nations. When you see all of these things, it would be so easy for me without an understanding of his kind intention to say that, I'm sorry, <clears throat> to say that God, if he is God, I've heard people say, why would he allow this to happen? Since he's God, he not only allows it, but he gives it free reign because the greater iniquity, the darker the night, the brighter the light. The more iniquity, the greater the redemption. <clears throat> Will you all forgive me if I stop? <coughs> I'll continue tomorrow, okay? Let me just talk just one more time. Uh, let me talk just a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, Denny, I'm glad to see you. I'm better, but right now I'm, <coughs> I'm losing my... <coughs> I've had a bronchial infection. I'm feeling good, but I can't... can't I, I <coughs> I'm not sure if that'll help me or not, Pastor. Y'all smile at each other, Okay. Okay, Roger, Karen, me and you here for just a minute, okay. When we write a book, if I walk up to you and I see you sitting at a computer, y'all listen to this very carefully, you're sitting at a computer, and I say, what are you doing? You say, we're writing a book. Really? What's the first thing I'm going to say? What's it about? I have to have some intention. Why would I write a book just for the exercise of putting words on a piece of paper? 
Y'all help me here a little bit. Talk back to me. So if I'm writing, you say, well, you know, I'm writing out this sentence right here. Well, you write that sentence out and you look at it and say, I don't like the way that sounds. Take it over here, <coughs> put it on another page over here beside that. And then, uh, excuse me. <coughs> and then you write it a different way. And say, I think that sounds better. And say, no, I don't know. You may write that eight or ten times. That one sentence you may write eight or ten times. And then you put a pry bar under it and mess around with it and see if you can make it better, see if you can contradict it, see if you can find anything. It may not be the best, but it's the best you can do. So it's perfect. Well, it's not perfect in that it's all encompassing. It's just as perfect as you can make it, which may not be as perfect at all. But you got that one sentence. Now, what are you going to do with that one sentence? Well, that one sentence, are you all still with me? Say yes. Okay, that one sentence then fits into a paragraph. And it has to fit in that paragraph in order. Does it fit here or does it go up here? Right? All of these are subsets to something. What is it a subset to? An idea. <coughs> An intention. I want to write a book that will change somebody's mind. I want to write a book that will change somebody's heart. I want to write something that will bring light to a subject. Does that make sense to you? But I'm stuck on this sentence right here. And now I'm trying to make that sentence better. My object is not to make nice sentences. I've got to take that sentence, put it back in the paragraph. Now, does the paragraph fit? Where is it going to fit? It's got to fit inside of this chapter. What's the chapter about? The chapter is a subset of the book. What's the book about? Well, you tell me what it's about. I'm telling you that God so loved the world. He didn't just love a little of it. He didn't just like a little bit. He so loved the world. He doesn't intend to redeem a few. He cannot be thwarted by some evil idea that in the beginning God intends to make a man so that he can deliver love to him so that man can love him back so that all of the creation would eventually love him and all the nations would love him. It's impossible that God could do that being sovereign and then be thwarted by some evil force that God himself made. Anything you make is inferior to your superior power to create it. It's impossible that God could make anything that gets stronger than he is, that can think better than he can think. That's all stand up. That can do what he can do. Never, never, never. Now the chapter's got to fit in the book. What is it? It's a subset. Phil, you understand. It's a sub. You know, you're right. It's a subset of all these and these other chapters. Then you look at them and say, does that come first or should it go there? Maybe I should put this there and then put that down here. <coughs> what are you doing? Well, what I'm doing is, and so you walk up to somebody and they're typing. Now you've put a physical attribute to a spiritual thought. Before you ever type it on the page, you think it. It's spiritual before it's physical. Come on. So before you take your pen up to write something out, first of all, it comes into your thought. Where did it come from? From the spirit. The spirit is feeding me. And so in my soulish nature and in my human ability, then I start typing this out. There are some people who may type just for the joy of watching the letters fly and watching the little bugs come up on the screen. But very honestly, that person has got a mental problem. <coughs> 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 
because the real fact is the only reason I'm writing that sentence is to become a support as a subset, a support to an original idea, which was the whole purpose, which was the whole intention of writing a book in the first place. If I don't understand the original intention of God to be kind and wonderful and glorious and mighty and full of love, then iniquity will scare me. Sin will frighten me. War will trouble me. All of these things will beset me. But if I understand that it is impossible for anything to separate me from the love of God, principalities, powers, angels, things present, things to come, nothing, nothing, come on, somebody help me, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And so if I'm having church because I'm enjoying typing and I do it every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning and sometimes on Sunday night and then I'll type a little few things on Tuesday evening <coughs> and put on a little music while I'm playing for choir practice on Friday. And I become so, listen to me very good, I become so enchanted in the process of writing that I forget. And what if somebody encourages me and says, that's some of the best writing I've ever seen. Oh my goodness, I'm telling you, I enjoy reading that sentence. What a wonderful sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what happens is we start in the subsets finding places that we enjoy are things without the original concept. If, if nobody told me what the original purpose was, then I've got to find something in the subsets that gives me peace. <clears throat> and that's what Christians have done. They have found something in the process that they enjoy and they've stopped there because they never understood the original intention of God was not just to make a man put him on trial, see if he could make it. It was that God was going to let man go through everything that life, time, and circumstance, including evil, good, and everything else could throw at him and in the end redeem it all so that he would get all of the glory and all of the praise. Hey, come on, let's bless the name of the Lord.